Father, we thank you, for we know that you're not a baby in a manger, but you're the white-wigged one with the swept-back wings that's here among us today. We thank you for your care and your protection, the love that you've imparted unto us. Far above all things, O oh God, that you made us beneficiaries of the great revelation of this hour. We know you could have bypassed us, but you didn't. Because there's a representation in our hearts. We thank you, gracious Lord, for a message that you sent our day. For a prophet that was obedient to you. That only spoke what you told him to speak. And we thank you, Father, for we know that the same spirit that was in this prophet is in this bride today. Lord, we just thank you for unveiling to us this great truth of this hour. And I pray, gracious Father, for this little flock here. As represented from Benoni and Whitbank and different areas. Dear God, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, may you bless them. Even at this time, we pray for different ministers, O oh God, that are preaching in conventions. Gracious Lord, we pray that you'd be with them and may you bless them. May they preach the unadulterated word, sheep food for the bride. God, may they be feeding, O oh God, and I pray that you'd be with them and bless them. Bless your little bride that you've called from every kindred, tribe, and nation, and tongue. May you bless her, we pray. And Father, we pray again for the children of Israel. May you bless them, we pray, Father, and for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, dear God, that you'd be with them and bless them. Bless us now this morning, we pray. And we thank you for all things, Father. We ask you once again through the medium of your word that you'd heal the sick and afflicted. Restoring the backsliders and saving the lost and feeding the hungry. Grant it to us this morning, O oh God, as we turn the service over to you in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Revelation 8 and verse number 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. You may take your seats. And this morning we'd like to speak a very simple subject on living in the alpha of silence. And I pray this morning that God will help us as we look into the scriptures. And at this time I want to salute my precious brother Joseph Latola. I believe he's a great minister and I enjoyed the things that he preached. And it's so good, so refreshing. I was just telling my wife, it was so nice 
just to be sitting there and hearing somebody just preach such clean things and that could really feed your soul. Amen. So I appreciate my brother. It was a joy just standing beside him to minister to you the word of the Lord. And I pray God will give us grace to do it again. And also I want to uh, salute our young ministers here, Brother Tanashe and Brother Madiba. It's so good to see young ministers rising up and it's a promise that young ministers will rise up and get a hold of this message and be able to deliver it to the people. It looks like the old people are stuck and they don't seem to be going anywhere. And what they are calling basics is what Paul told us to leave aside and move to perfection. And the real basics is the opening of the word because it does not take an intellectual mind to bring these things. It is God in simplicity and He's doing that for us this morning. Amen. So the Lord bless you. And silence is a tremendous thing. Because nobody can explain silence. And you can't say anything or too much about it. Which is why when theologians were trying to probe at, like Brother Branson, they were probing at these things. They would try to give their interpretation from seal number one to seal number six. Most of it or almost all of it was wrong anyway when they were trying to figure out the first seal. They said that was the Holy Ghost. And Brother Brandon said he also thought it was until the angel came and told him, no, it is the evil spirit. So they were probing at these things, but when it came to the seventh seal, what could they say about silence? And I read the book by William Barclay on his, um, he was a great theologian, on uh, his exegesis on, on the book of Revelation. And when it came to the seventh seal, all he said was, there was silence, that's all. He never said anything else. He couldn't say anything else. But silence is a tremendous attribute. When Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Bible said he opened not his mouth. So in that silence, he was speaking something. But it was not able to be understood by those that were there. The Bible said they marveled that he didn't say anything. But in what he didn't say, he was saying something. Because Brother Branham said, God does great things in silence. That's right, sir. And as our brother Joseph said, God can draw millions and millions of gallons of water without making a single noise. And you don't even know how the water vapor went up there to form the clouds. But when you and I want a cup of water, we make a bunch of noise just to get one little cup of water. Come on, sir. And the prophet said in the morning, when you get up, you see those... scriptures and uh, go through is really very simple 
Nobody knew about his coming. Nobody knew about the thunders, which means those two are directly connected together. And Brother Branham said so in the seven seals. Amen. So then what is God doing? Is he just sitting back and watching things unfold? He can't be doing that. Because the types will unveil just exactly what God is doing in this hour. So we're going to just go through some very simple things in the Bible and look at these shadows and types. And see what God was doing when he was doing things in silence. And we're going to apply those things to our lives today. And say that God is doing the same things. Because now we are understanding the how and the when of his coming. And we're going to begin with Genesis chapter 2. Verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And the word rest means silence. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it, he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. So then the word rest, meaning silence, means the seventh day which brought God back to earth. Amen. So this rest that God was taking was an interval between two notes. This rest that God was taking was a time of silence. And God was entering into His silence after six days of creation. And after six seals being opened, then God enters into a rest. Into a silence. And God's rest is not a time of inactivity. Because God does great things when He's resting. And now when the Bible says God rested from His work, and our explanation, our understanding of rest is, I'm tired, let me lie down and just take a little break. That's rest for us. Do you think God went and He lay down a little bit? Do you think I'm, God said I'm tired? I worked hard for six days. Look at the works of my creation. Let me just take a little break. God don't take no break. So if you notice the Sabbath to us is to enter into God's rest. And to enter into God's rest means to break into the silence of God. Which is your seventh seal. And the Bible says Israel never entered into God's rest. 
They had their Sabbath every Saturday or whatever it was. Every seven day was a Sabbath. They observed those things, but the Bible says they entered not into God's rest. But there remains the day, Paul says. And this is the day. When people are entering into God's rest, not your rest, but entering into God's rest, where you're breaking into God's great silence and enjoying the benefits of what He is doing. In other words, when you break into the seventh seal, and enter into the rest that God made for you, it shows that the days of man are over. This is the Lord's day. The day, like I said, of big personalities throwing themselves around and putting themselves on the computer and sending themselves all over the world, those days are finished. This is the Lord's day. It's not a man's ministry. No, sir. As our precious brother Joseph said, we, God gave us the ability. Not the ability to preach. But the ability to receive the word. Yes, sir. So let's look at what God was doing in Genesis 2. Because remember, Genesis 1 was God just speaking. Let there be, let there be, let there be. That's what he did in Genesis 1. But in Genesis 2 was not let there be. Which means in Genesis 1, God was just speaking the word. But in Genesis 2, the word becomes flesh. Amen. In verse 7 of Genesis 2, the Bible says, God formed man from the dust. Notice, this is God entering into his rest now. This is the silence time. And in this time of silence, what is God doing? He's forming man from the dust of the earth. Taking those 16 elements. And God was not in some other dimension that he was right there upon the earth because the seventh seal brings him back to earth. So right there in Genesis 2, he was right there in the garden. Notice also 
In verse number 15, the Bible says, And the Lord God took the man, the one that he formed, and he put him, Amen? Into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it so then, which means he was positionally placing. He told Adam, you can take control of the whole earth. It's all yours. You're an amateur God. Do what you want. Speak to nature. Stop it if you want. Do anything. I've given you power and authority. While I'm on power and authority. You know in Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says, And God created man in His image. After His likeness. And after he made the man in his image, after his likeness, then he said to the man, take dominion over the earth. Now watch the order. He had to come first into the image and after the likeness, then he gave him dominion. And a lot of people want dominion first. And because they want dominion, they cause problems everywhere they go. But you see, when you come into the image and after the likeness of God, then you will have power with character. But if you just want dominion because you know some quotes and because you've heard some tapes, then brother and sister, that is satanic. So God took this man and he positionally placed him. Even though there was a whole earth for him to govern, but he put him in a certain part of the garden so it was positional placing in the time of God's rest. You know, I think it's the greatest privilege to be a son of God. And I tell my family, even if I don't have to preach another day, I don't mind. I said, just the fact that I'm a son of God, I'm just so happy. So notice, in the time of that rest, God made man an amateur God with the power to choose. Amen. He had the power of choice. He was a God. And what the serpent was telling him was not wrong. He says, the thing of it is, he told the woman, if you do this, you'll become as God. And that's the truth. Verse 19. The Bible says in Genesis 2 verse 19. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. Now notice in Genesis 1, He spoke, let the earth bring forth animals. Amen. But now in the second chapter, in the time of the rest of Almighty God, now that which He spoke, He was bringing into manifestation. In other words, again, like I said, the Word was becoming flesh. I in you, you in me, and we are one. That's your promise. That's our promise for today. And he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature that was the name thereof. And as you understand the English language, the word was is past tense. Which means in this time of rest, God brings nature to Adam. All the animals in the Bible said, and God was watching to see what Adam would call them. That's right, amen. Amen. And the Bible said, whatever Adam called them, that was. In other words, Adam didn't look at an animal and decide 
saying, oh, I wonder what I should call it. Maybe I should call it this. No, no. The name was already there in the mind and the thought of Almighty God. Which means Adam had to pick up God's thoughts. In the time of the silence, in the time of God's rest, he caught God's thoughts and he began to manifest those thoughts. And isn't this the very hour that God's prophet said, I want to tell you what was in the mind of God? Amen. Amen. And like I said, Adam wasn't speaking English or Hebrew. I don't believe that when he saw this beautiful animal with the mane, I don't, I don't believe that he said, This is a lion. Because that's English. And he wasn't speaking an earthly language. He was manifesting the thoughts of God. Amen. Moses wrote it in the Hebrew language. And uh, they they translated it into the English language. Amen. Which means Adam never called it lion. But what he was doing was putting everything in tribal, uh, not tribal order, but in in the biological order. Certain kind of animals that eat certain kind of things, put them in order. These animals that will eat fruit, he put them in that order. So he set everything in order in the garden. And whatsoever he did, that was before the world began. It was already in the mind of God and Adam was just picking up God's thoughts and manifesting those thoughts. Which means in this time of the Alpha of Science. In this hour that we are living in, as we've entered into God's rest, then all we are living by now is the thoughts of God. We're reading the same Bible everybody's reading, listening to the same tapes, reading the same books. We are doing that, but you know what? We've entered into God's rest. And all these things we are reading and listening to, it's becoming flesh in us, it's becoming a living reality. Amen. It's not you walking around in the message tag. I'm a message believer because I got long hair and, and, and I, don't, I don't want makeup and, and so on. That's not why you're a message believer. So everything was done by thought. And Adam was placing the animals in biological order. This is... The half hour silence, right? This is when God was entering into his rest. He didn't make a little bed like a hammock between two trees and lie down like that. And My, I'm tired, worked for six days. Six thousand years, I did all of these things. It's about time I took a break. No, no, no. Amen. This was the bride's time. Verse 21 and 22. Of Genesis 2. The Bible says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. So, which means in this rest of God, he was presenting the bride. To her husband. Was not being done by the church world. But almighty God himself. Amen. What did he do? He forms the bride 
which was taken from Adam's side. And notice, Adam had to die for his bride to come forth. There had to be a death because the Bible says God put Adam to a deep sleep. And Brother Branham said the deep sleep is death. So Adam died. And because he died, he had to have a resurrection. So there was a death and a resurrection. Right there in the Garden of Eden. In the time that God was resting. And God had to take this very same message. Which is our Jesus Christ. And this message had to be crucified. It had to die. For the purpose of bringing forth a bride. In the resurrection. When the bridegroom recognizes who his bride is. And when Adam died, what did God do? He cut his side. It means he broke the seal. This was the great Easter seal. The resurrection seal. So God cut Adam's side. And when he cut his side, he pulled out his bride. The Bible says rib, but God didn't break off a rib. It's just called a rib, but it's actually the feminine spirit that God took out of the man and he formed the woman. Amen. And notice, she was no different from a husband. And when God brought the bride to the bridegroom, he didn't ask, now who's this? Because I mean, he just died and he resurrected and he didn't, uh, he didn't know or he didn't see what was happening. So he didn't inquire, now God, what are you doing? Who is this person? And you and I have a choice today of who we want to marry. Adam had no choice. But he was happy. Because the one that he got married to was the one that came out of his side. God didn't have to choose among the churches. But you are his bride because you were in him to, to, uh, to begin with. You were a part of him before the world began. And so when Adam saw his wife. He knew straight away that she was going to fall. He knew she was going to fall. And he wasn't sad. Notice what he said. She is flesh of my flesh. Bones of my bones. He said, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. How did he know there was going to be fathers and mothers? Because fathers and mothers only came because of the fall. So which means Adam knew his wife was going to fall. But he knew that he was going to redeem her. You see, that's why the Bible said the woman being in the transgression was deceived and not the man. He was not deceived. Jesus was not deceived. We got caught into harlotry. We started belonging to churches and organizations. Amen. Until we came to the perfect realization of who we really are. And this great half hour of silence, God has brought us back to Himself. So notice God was doing this in the time of His rest. 
She was his by election. Because she was a part of him to begin with. And Adam could not have any other woman. Amen. Amen. Although there was polygamy and all kinds of things after that. But Adam never had another wife. He had only one. That's right my brother. He doesn't have another one. Amen. Just one wife is all he's got. And many members bride that he called from every kindred, nation, tribe and tongue. Amen. And we are represented here as the bride of Jesus Christ. Being introduced to him in this half hour of silence. Amen. When God is doing these things in us. When the ministry of the spoken word is becoming a manifested word. Yes sir. Like I said one time. When God first spoke the word, it was just spoken word. Yes, sir. But there was nobody to write it. So God called Moses to the mountain. Amen. And he made Moses write everything that was spoken. Amen. So which means spoken word became written word. Amen. And when the written word came, not too many people understood it. So then God raised up prophets. And when the prophets brought the word, it was the revealed word. So the spoken word, which became the revealed word, was now was the written word, now became the revealed word. But God didn't stop there. Because everything that was spoken, and everything that was written, and everything that was revealed, was manifested in a body of flesh. So until the spoken word, which became the written word, which became the revealed word, until it is manifested and becomes flesh, we haven't achieved the purpose of God. For in the beginning was the word, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Even the message of the hour. When Brother Branham started preaching it, it was just spoken word on tape. Then brothers took the spoken word and they started making books. It became written word. Then ministers came and they started preaching. It became revealed word. But in the alpha of silence, in the time of God's rest, when you entered into his rest, everything that's on the pages of this message is now inside you. In other words, you are the very manifestation of Almighty God. If anybody wants to see God, they must see God in you or else they missed it. Jesus Christ on two feet. Written epistles known and read of all men. Let's go to Genesis 7. <clears throat> Verses 1 to 5. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens. And make his female. Uh, sorry, the male and his female. And of beasts and a not clean by two. The male and his female. Of fowls also of the air by sevens. The male and the female. To keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days. And I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. 
And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that God the Lord had commanded him. Now, page 43 of the Seals book. I'm not sure Brother Joseph quoted this or Brother Madiba or Brother Tanashe. <coughs> Paragraph 78. Or this from 77. Now the 8th chapter only reveals the scene, S-C-E-N-E, of the scene of the 7th seal where nothing else is revealed. Now nothing is not revealed in the 7th seal. So Revelation 8 only tells you the silence, so nothing else is revealed. Are we together? Now but nothing to do with the 7th chapter of Revelation, it's revealing of the 7th seal is perfectly mute. Paragraph 78, all the way back from Genesis, the 7th chapter. Or the seventh seal is spoken of from the very beginning in Genesis. So which means you can go back to the book of Genesis and go all the way down. You'll be able to see the seventh seal. And remember the seventh seal was silence. Which means you'll be able to pick up the silence of God. The rest of God. And you'll be able to attain to it. Now Jesus prophesied. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. And when the church world talks about the days of Noah, they talk about the promiscuity and they talk about the violence and they talk about the crime and all of those things, which is true. But in the days of Noah, God sent a prophet. So it was not just the sinful living and modern conditions. But in that day, God sent a prophet with a message of grace. Noah was not a good guy. Because the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Amen. Grace, Brother Branham said, means unmerited pardon. Means he had issues in his life. But you know what saved him? The Bible said he was perfect in his generations. Means there was nothing wrong with his genealogy. Amen. It means he was the only one that was not contaminated with serpent seed. With the seed of Cain. He was not contaminated with that. You see, his genealogy was right. And that's what made him find grace in the eyes of God. And that's what made you and I find grace in the eyes of God. It's our genealogy. We full of mistakes, we do all kinds of things, we grew up doing all kinds of things wrong. We think wrong, we act wrong, we do all of those things. But in our genealogy we are perfect. Because we come from God, we go back to God. You and I can trace our genealogy right back to the Logos. So notice in Noah's day he provided them with an ark. To save them from the judgments. And Brother Branham explains that the ark was made from a very soft, porous wood. He said, and water would just soak into it and would cause the whole thing to sink. But the wisdom of God is above the wisdom of men. And Noah didn't argue and say, but Lord, why this kind of wood? And this prophet that God sent with an ark in this day, he never questioned God either. Amen. 
He never asked, but why, Lord? No, he just went ahead. And, and one time he said, I've preached for 26 years. He said, not one time did I ever tell you anything except what he told me. So people can leave the message if they want. Find fault to the prophets if they want. Do whatever they want. It doesn't matter. Amen. We know who we are. So notice the ark was made of a soft, porous, gopher wood. Which would have sunk and everybody in that ark would have drowned. But Brother Branham said, God showed Noah a tree. And he said he had to chop the tree down, take the sap out and boil it. And he said, and there he would have the pitch. That he would pitch that ark within and without. Amen. So which means that wood which is humanity is so soft and porous... It would sink any time, but because it has pitch within and without, it will be able to stand the hour of judgment. That was Noah's ark. But in this hour, the Bible tells us that in the right hand of him that sat upon the throne, there was a book which was sealed within and on the backside with seven seals. If it was not sealed within and without, the devil would have got a hold of it and all of us would have drowned. But he sealed it with his own seal. The king sealed, sealed that book within and without and nobody could break that seal except the king himself. And he took it upon himself to come in this half hour silence and be able to come in this this generation and I think it's a wonderful thing that God never put us in Luther's age or Wesley's age or any other age he brought us in this hour that you and I might be witnesses and beneficiaries of the half hour of silence that you and I could enter into God's rest notice God speaks his word And he will never change his word. And God declared there will be 120 years. That was determined for men. And at the end end of 120 years he said yet another seven days. See those seven thunders had to utter. The silence of God had to come. And look at the things that were being done. The days of mercy were ended. Yet another seven days, the silence of God enter into his rest. Like we said, where was God? He broke out of the dimension. And he was right in the ark. He had to be. Because the language that he uses... It says, and the Lord said unto Noah, verse number 1, Genesis 7, Come thou, come thou, and all thy house into the ark. Now if God was not in the ark, he can't say come. If he was outside there, he said go in. If you are in in this hall here, and if you are in this hall, you can tell somebody come in. 
But if you're not here, if you're outside, you'll tell them, go in. But God was in the ark. The people didn't see him. Nobody knew anything about it. But Noah and his family were enjoying the benefits of his coming. So in that great silence, when Noah was entering into the rest of God, and the very name Noah means rest. So notice, when we look at Genesis 2, you got to see what God did there is doing in you. Because this is the half hour silence that we're living in. The seventh seal being opened and God is doing these things in His bride. Don't think it's some kind of formula you have to kind of remember. E uh, is equal to MC squared or something like that. You don't have to figure out all of those. Those things are for the actuaries and all those other people. Amen. So you just remember that God is doing something in silence. That you've entered into the rest of Almighty God. That God is breaking inside of you. You don't need to even have an education. I've got people in our church who don't even know how to read or write. But they know things that the theologians don't know. Amen. Your theophany is here. Your theophany is in you. Because Brother Branham says your soul is your theophany. And it's your theophany that amens the word. It's your theophany that warns you when something is wrong. Your theophany will warn you to keep away from camps. And for pet doctrines and whatever, your theophany will always make you line up with the word of God. And notice what God was doing in the time of Noah was not a public show. The people on the outside didn't know what was going on. And you know what? God didn't bring the animals in. He told Noah, of every clean beast, thou shalt take to thee by sevens. Now, how on earth were these animals, out of maybe hundreds or thousands of lions, how was one lion and one lioness? Will know that he and she have to enter into the ark. You see, the supernatural element is not gifts. The supernatural element is the quickening power. Where the word is quickened and God himself is doing. In other words, Noah's message was so supernatural that one bull elephant and one cow elephant knew that they were the ones that were going to go in the ark. One line, one line has had to go into the ark. Seven doves had to go in. Seven sheep had to go in. Amen. They had to go in exactly by the message of Noah. And I believe the message of this hour. The supernatural element has got a hold of you. Amen. And told you you've got to get into the ark. This is the half hour of silence. 120 years are over. Yet another seven days. Seven thunders after the royal voices. Seven seals open. Amen. All these things are happening right here in the ark. Because he does great things in silence. And under that silence, natures were changed. Because when the lion and lioness were walking and they saw those lambs out there, they didn't say, that's going to be my lunch. 
You know what God did? Everything that Adam had lost, he restored. He brought them back to the original nature before the fall. Amen. So that the lion and the lamb could be together and eat grass together. Amen. Like brothers just enjoying the benefits of the silence of Almighty God. And I believe that you and I, well, maybe you had a lion nature or a hyena nature or whatever, but God has restored your original nature back again. Amen. And that's not just me saying that Brother Branham said. Let me read the quote. Notice what he says. It's redemption. Paragraph 119, page 76, Seals book. It's redemption means all legal possessions to all that was lost by Adam and Eve. He said, oh my. And it says, Brother Brandon claps his hands together. Amen. We should do that too. What ought that to do to a born again Christian? He said it's legal possession to that abstract deed. The title deed of eternal life means that you. You. Not people on the outside. Not those theologians. Not the smart guys in the message. He says you. It means that you possess everything. That Adam and Eve lost. Everything. You know Adam lost his right to the tree of life. He lost his inheritance. Amen. And he lost his fellowship. Those three things Brother Branham spoke about that Adam lost. And in the hour that we are living in. God has brought you back to your right to the tree of life. Because right now when you come to the house of God. You are feeding of the tree of life. You eat it. And God has restored the original fellowship. And he's brought back your inheritance, which Brother Branham said is your name in the book. So God has restored to you everything. All that was lost. Just think about it, brother and sister. That Brother Branham said before Adam fell, he said the book was in his hand. Not a book like this. And he lost that. And the prophet said it went back into the hands of the original owner. Which is what you see in Revelation 5. You see, but it was not a book with pages and writing. But it was Adam's ability to speak the word. To bring forth a pregnancy in his wife. Amen. So that the sons of God could be called out of the dust of the earth. And then what happened? He lost that right and that right went back into the hand of the original owner. And so in this hour, God brings that right back again. Takes that book, opens the seals and he brings it back to us. And right now, you are speaking your new body into existence. Every time you amen the word, every time you get into that word, you're just speaking your word, your body, word, body into existence. That very thing that Eve had forfeited in the garden. Just think about it. That book, which was in Adam's hand, went back to the hand of the original owner. 
That book which in Revelation 5 was in the hand of him that sat upon the throne, which the Lamb took and broke those seals, and he comes as a lion in Revelation 10, and he brings that book and he gives it to the seventh angel, and the seventh angel gives it to us, and that book now is in you, because you took the book and you ate the book. Which means this book which was in God's end, that came to Adam's end, went back to God's end, taken by the lamb, brought by the lion, given to the seventh angel, is now inside you. I challenge you to believe it. Because this is the truth. Because this is not a man, this is almighty God ministering his word to you in this time of silence. And let's put the emphasis on all, A-L-L. All that they lost has been restored. So don't go around moping and saying, well, you know, I made a mistake. I'm down in the dumps. It's all over for me. I'm not sure if I'm predestinated. Don't carry on like that. At the same time, I'm not saying don't live wrong. But I'm telling you, you better understand who you are. You're going to come to a perfect realization. That prodigal son was always the son of his father. Amen. When he was in his father's house, he was his son. When he took his inheritance and went and riders living, he was still the son of his father. When he ended up in the pigsty, he was still the son of his father. But the Bible says when he was in the pigsty, he came to himself. It means he was not in his right mind. And you know what he was eating? He was eating husk. And what is husk? Husk is shuck. He was eating Pentecostal food. And he was getting sick. And why must I live like this? In my father's house they got the seven seals. They got Christ the mystery of God revealed. They got the token. Why must I live here in the Pentecostal world? He said, I will arise. And I'll go back to my father. Amen. Brother Branham said it takes a long time for a son of God to realize he is a son of God. And when that realization strikes you, you begin to enter into God's rest. You are now living in the half hour of silence. God's word being made flesh in you. Genesis 24, verses 1 to 7, and we pick up a few scriptures a little later. And Abram was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abram in all things. And Abram said unto his elder elder servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son, of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country. And to my kindred. The same bloodline. And take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him. Peradventure. 
The woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abram said unto him, Beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. Verse 7. He said, The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land, he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And you know that this commission has been given to the prophet. Remember the time and the message ashamed of him. When he said I was going through a time, it seemed like God was not talking to me no more. And I didn't know what I had done. Is Maybe I owed the public service company some money or whatever it was. And he started searching his heart and he went from one thing to another. God, what is it? Why are you not speaking to me until finally? He said, Lord, maybe there's some character in the Bible. That you want me to look at. Please show it to me. He said, I closed my eyes. And I opened my Bible. And I put my finger there. And when I opened my eyes, there it was. Genesis 24. 7 to 9. He said, perfect with my message. Go and get a bride for Isaac. He said, chills went down my spine. That's what God was showing him. You see, this is a type of the rapture. And Isaac never physically put his feet in Mesopotamia. Amen. He didn't go. But a messenger was sent. With the message. And the messenger going with the message was the coming of Isaac. This was the calling of the bride to the rapture. Commission given to Eliezer. Amen. And notice. Eliezer's problem was not being able to find the bride. That was not a problem to him. But it peradventure the woman will not follow me. And the people accuse us of following a man. I don't have a problem with that. Because he's a star on the right hand of God. He led me to the word. No problem. But notice. He said he shall send his angel before thee. And Reverend T. Just quoted that quote. That I'm going to read to you. Before he handed the service to me. And notice what he says. Time of decision. And it was in the evening time. When he come to the well near the city. And it was about that time that Rebecca had to make a decision. I believe. Watch Brother Brenham saying, I believe. And I believe it too. I believe the angel of the Lord beat him there about a half hour. Not half hour, about a half hour. And about a half hour, the only place that's in the Bible is Revelation 8.1. Which means the bride is called under the seventh seal. 
for he will send his angels before thee that makes the way clear. And it must have been the angel of God, notice, that spoke to Rebecca's heart and said, go get the water. And Rebecca came to the water of life at the evening time. God was working on both sides. Prophet said, you get the picture? And now I'm asking you, do you get the picture? It's the church in the last days. Notice, is it? It's the church in the last days. In other words, he's taking this very scene in Genesis 24 and he's bringing it right down to us and he said, it's the church in the last days. The evening time, the evening lights are here. It's the time that the angel of the Lord in a supernatural is revealing himself to Rebecca. The bride of Isaac. He said, and somehow or another, she's moved to go to the waters of life. Amen. Oh, my heart is turning over with joy. I cannot be preached when I think of that. The evening time is come. The angel of the Lord's in the message. Notice, the angel of the Lord is in the message. Goes forth and woos the Rebecca to come to the waters of life. I feel like crying. I'm so happy to think that God moved, wooed me, you and I, to bring us to those waters of life, to be able to have this relationship in this time of rest, the great of our silence. And the world knows nothing about. But God has picked you. Amen. And he spoke to you. And when he brought you the message, this is the waters of life. That God has granted to you and I. You know what? If I was Eliezer with this commission, I don't think I would have gone to the well. I would have gone to the little village out there in Mesopotamia and I would have inquired. Anybody knows Nahor around this area? I think that's what I would have done. And God's prophet never did that either. He never went to inquire. But the word that he brought was for the predestinated. And the predestinated would have responded. To the word, sink or swim, live or die, she would have responded, and she has. And notice Eliezer's prayer. Now I'm bringing these things to you so you'll understand that in the South Hour Silence, there's certain things happening. In Genesis 2, we saw what was happening, it's happening now. In Genesis 7, we saw what was happening in the days of Noah, it's happening now. Amen. Here's Genesis 24. And we notice now that Eliezer's prayer in verse number 14. His prayer, as I paraphrase it, was something on this order. Lord God of Abraham, my master. Here I am with this commission. And it's a difficult commission. But I'm here to find the bride for my master son Isaac. When she comes to this well... 
ask her for water. And she must give me and my camels with me. So when she came, all he said was, give me some water to drink. He didn't say the other part. The other part was unspoken. The other part was still in his mind. He didn't speak it. In other words, this bride in this time of silence has to catch the thoughts of Almighty God to be able to be bride to Isaac. So you see, that part was not spoken to her. So when he said, give me some water to drink, she said, surely I will give you and your camels with you. And brother brings to the camels was the power of the word that was going to take it to Isaac and she had to water that word. So in other words, Rebecca broke into the silence. She entered into a rest. Caught the thoughts of the message. And was able to see that the message was not just spoken word books. She was able to see that the Bible was not just words written. But she knew that she had to catch the very thought that was behind that word. That's what made her the bride. Is that right? He said, I will ask her for water. She must give me and my camels. So when she fed the very animals that was going to take her to uh, uh, Isaac, that's what made her the bride. So where are we today then? We might memorize quotes. We might know this. We might know that. And we might say, well, I've been in the message 30 years, 40 years, whatever it was. And maybe I met this one. I met that one. Talked to this one and talked to great ministers. We could have done all of those things. But that's not the qualification. That's not the requirement of Almighty God. God wants you to break into that silence. God wants you to enter into His rest. Catch His thoughts. And live by those thoughts. Because remember the part that is spoken, the devil will mess it around. That is the open evidence. But the sealed evidence, the devil cannot get a hold of. And that's where we are today. And only after she responded by catching his thoughts, then he asked her genealogy, Who are you? If it was me, I would have asked her, What's your name? Which family? No, no. But he said, Give me some water to drink. And after she had caught the thoughts of Eliezer, then he asked her, Who art thou? And then he began to weep and began to worship God. Then he told her what his mission was. And he was a total stranger. And he was telling Abraham, what if she doesn't follow me? Abraham said, no problem. That's not your worry. You just go with the message and preach. But the angel that has been with me is going to go before you. And he's going to bring in the half hour silence. So that the bride could enter into the rest. You just go and do as I tell you to do. And leave the rest to me. Hallelujah. And then God saw to it that Rebecca was able to come to this marriage. And when Eliza spoke, she believed. Conduct, order, and doctrine, everything. She just believed. Amen. A total stranger. 
And you know what? She fell in love with somebody she had never physically seen. And everything she knew about Isaac was what Eliza told her. I thought I knew Jesus. I didn't know him until I came into the message of the hour. And all I know about him now is what this Eliza has told me. Amen. And because he told me, I fell in love with somebody that I never physically saw. And I entered into a marriage by an invisible union. Then when she went back home, the church said to her, well, you know, I think you're getting a little beside yourself. Uh, Why don't you just wait 10 days, which is 10 senses, that dulls you, that keeps you away from the silence, that stops you from getting into your rest. 10 days. She said, no, no, no. I'm on my way right now. I'm packing my bags. I'm on my way to meet my Isaac. I'm going. You can't hold me back. And whenever there was a question, she never went to the other ministers. Because there were other servants there with Eliezer. She went right back to the prophet. What is this? What is that? And you know what? This is for you young people. When finally they came to the place, The Bible said Isaac was meditating in the field. And Rebecca saw and she never asked anybody else. She asked Eliza, who's that? He said, it's our Lord up there in the sky. And notice. He was meditating in the field for his bride. He never went to Facebook. Or some kind of computer dating. He was in prayer and he got his bride. I don't need Facebook. 1963 when he came with the book he showed me his face. That's my Facebook. And notice, she lifted up her eyes. When he lifted up his eyes, he saw the camels. The Bible doesn't say he saw Rebecca. He saw the camels. In other words, he was watching the word that was going to bring his bride. And when she lifted up her eyes, she saw Isaac. Hallelujah. That's all we see. When we lift up our eyes, we only see him. Amen. And Brother Branham said, God only watches over his word. And he said, God only resurrects his word. Which means you got to be word to be resurrected. Let's pick up another one. First Kings chapter 3. The whole bunch of 16 to 28, verse number 16 to 28, but 1 Kings, the third chapter. Um, Let's not read it, but I'll just uh, paraphrase it to you. This is about the two women that were, that had children and so on like that, and they were disputing uh, 
who the mother really was. You know the story, right? First Kings chapter 3. And Solomon was just promised in the previous chapter when he saw God in the dream. And God asked him, ask whatever you want. No strings attached. Anything you want, I'll give it to you. And he said, Lord, give, give me wisdom to judge this great nation that you gave unto my father David. So God gave him wisdom and the very next chapter was the test of that wisdom. So this was Jehovah now in this chapter proving the gift. Let's bring the story together. Two women. Both caught up in harlotry. And don't you ever think you were not in harlotry. We were a part of it to begin with. We didn't even know any better. But we got caught up with all kinds of systems and all kinds of organizations. And we got caught up in message camps and personalities. We got caught up in those things. Amen. Let's be truthful about that, right? So we were caught up in harlotry. Amen. And these two women represent the bride and the church. And the Bible said both of them had children together the same night. In other words, the word was coming forth at the same time. And both of them were receiving it. Receiving the message. And receiving the message for the bride is the birth of the man-child. Which Brother Branham called the seed child of this hour. But according to the scriptures, the Bible tells us one child died... Caught death or whatever death it was, suffocated, died, one child died. And a dispute over the living child arose. Both of them were claiming the living child. Citing that the children were swapped at night. The one mother was saying, while I was sleeping, she came and took my living baby. And the other one said, while I was sleeping, she came and put a dead baby by me. So there was a dispute. Both of them claiming the living child. Both of them saying they got the revival. And the matter went up to this king. So here's King Solomon. And he was in the throne room. And the throne room is always a hub of activity. With counselors. Lawmakers, scribes, and servants. The throne room was not a place where a king will go and have a rest. If he wants a rest, he'll go to his bedroom. Or take a walk in his garden somewhere. Or lay down somewhere. But if he wants a rest, he won't go to the throne room. The throne was for a specific reason. So let's pick up the scene. And I want you to notice. There was this great hub of activity. Counselors making laws and everything and signatures going on like that and people speaking and all kinds of things were happening and the servants were there fanning Solomon like this and bringing some fruit or food or whatever it was, water and everything and there was just a whole lot of activity. And then these two women walk in. And when they walk in, they speak to the king. And they tell the king, well, this is it. 
This is what happened. Both of us had babies and both of us had revivals and so on. And you know what happened while we were sleeping? This one brought her dead baby to me and the other one said, no, no, that's not true. I had the living baby. She brought her baby over. So the dispute was there. And King Solomon said, bring me a sword. Because the king's sword will settle every dispute. And you know what the king said? He didn't hold the sword, he gave it to his servant. Because it fitted his hand exactly. A short little blade, gold handle, pearl, guard, silver blade, redemption, third pull, short, quick, powerful work. King Saul came in this hour to settle every dispute. And you know what I think happened? The king tells his servant, now take this revival. Take this word, cut it in two pieces, give each one. And when the sword came into the hand of the servant, there was silence in the throne room. Now what? What are we going to see? Blood spattered here in the throne room? Two mothers crying? Are we going to witness a murder? What's happening? And the great silence, and Brother Branson's silence maybe just for a little while, is that when it's a matter between life and death, it's eternity. I believe they held their breath. There was a holy hush. Everywhere. What is going to happen? Here's the messenger with a sword in his hand. And he said, cut the baby in two and give each one a piece. And the false mother, the church said, that's fine. I'm okay with half a revival. I'm happy with just half the word. Even if he's dead, it's okay. But the true mother began to cry. She said, please, don't do that. That's my baby. He said, don't kill the child. Give it to her, lady. Let her have it. Amen. Why? Because the true bride does not want half revivals. She does not want half word. She wants the whole word or nothing. So in this half hour silence, In the rest of Almighty God, God brought seven thunders to the bride, which is the bride's revival. 1963, he said the bride has not yet had a revival. People were thinking about what does he mean? He went seven times around the world, the dead were raised up, uh, sick were healed, lame walked out of the wheelchairs. What do you mean no revival? He said the bride has not yet had a revival. You see, that's what people were looking at before revival. 1964, recognizing your Danish message, Brother Branham said, look at those men, young Brown, Jack Moore, crying out, God sent us revival, God sent us a prophet. He said, what is it? They did not recognize the awakening of the bride. The seven thunders is the bride's revival. 
And the seven thunders were held by the seven seal. Yes. And when the seven seal opened, it produced revival inside of you. Yes. Because you took the book, you ate the book, even though the book was open, the thunders were sealed, and it opened up inside of you, and it became word upon word upon word. First Kings chapter 6 and verse number 7 and the Bible says and the house when it was in building was built of stone made ready before it was brought thither so that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was in building this is remarkable. Building the temple without a noise. God building his temple in silence. All they had to do was place it. All the labor was done on the outside. In the quarries, wherever they were, they took these stones and they began to cut them according to the blueprint. Amen. They didn't start thinking, what should I do here? They knew exactly every piece. And remember, David was the one who had the desire to build a house. And God told him, because you're a man of war and a man of blood, you will not build it, but your son is going to build it. And then the Bible says, David begin to get material. The cedars from Lebanon. The gold from Ophir and all of these other countries everywhere, he began to get material to build a temple. Amen. And God in this generation has sent the word out and called his bride from every kindred, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, and we are the material. Not only are the, you the material, you are the house. Yes. Not only are you the house, you are the tabernacle of God. Yes. Amen. And which God was wanting to live inside. And notice the temple was in construction with material that was imported from all parts of the world. The stones were cut and shaped in the quarries and were brought to the temple site and were placed positionally. Paul never knew that he was a messenger to a church age. Arrangers, Martin, Luther, Wesley, none of them believed that they were messengers to the age. But only in the end time, God raised up a prophet and he began to put those stones together. And all the stones were already cut. Amen. He put them all together. Faith, virtue, temperance, mission, all of those things. He put them all together. By the way, the virtues are not the thunders. But the thunders will produce the virtues. The strength of the pyramid is the head. And from the head flows all the power. That's what the thunders is. The opening of those seven seals. The headstone coming down. The white stone on which the sun had not shone. 
Amen. That is the, this is the hour that we are living in. When God is unveiling these things to you and I. Amen. So notice the stones were cut and shaped outside the temple side. And were brought in and were positionally placed. It fitted so perfectly that no adjustments had to be made. The Bible said there was no sound of hammer or axe or iron or anything. Can you believe, my brother and sister, that temple was built in silence? And I believe that God honed you. He shaped you. He cut you with the word and he brought you here today and he's positionally placing you and now behold the tabernacle of God is with men. Paul says, no, you're not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost and that God lives inside of you. You better believe that. And how did God do it? In silence. We've entered into the silence of God. And now, what God is doing is He's actually built you up so that He could live in it. Did not Jesus say, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to rest His head? He said that 2,000 years ago. But He's not saying that today because the Son of Man found a place where He could rest His head. And it's upon the bride. And the people look at the cloud and say, but that's just the head. Where's the body? Well, here's the body. And it's a dimensional change. Amen. The headship is here, Brother Brenham said. And we are no longer two, but we are one. That day you shall know that I am in you and you are in me and we are one. In silence. God did it. And I'm so glad he did it like that. Because if he made a noise about it, then the devil would have heard. But he did it in silence. He married us under the third pole. And here we are today, enjoying the benefits of what God has achieved. Let me just pick up one more maybe. I'll go to the book of Esther. Do you love him this morning? I'm I'm sure you do. Esther chapter 5. I'll just read verses 1 to 3 and we'll just pick it up from there and we'll try and bring this to a close. Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel And stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? What is thy request? It shall be given to thee to the hub of the kingdom, not an antinatural contract, but community of property. 50-50. Heirs of the father, joint heirs with the son. 
All that he has, I've got. All that he is, I am. And I am what I am by the grace of Almighty God. Notice Esther's identity was a mystery. Read in the book of Esther. Nobody knew except Mordecai that she was a Jew. And to become the queen, she had to receive a new name. Her name was changed from Hadessa to Esther. And Esther means a star. So in Persia, it was assumed that Esther herself was a Persian. Even her enemy, Haman, did not know who she really was. And even the devil's guessing now. Not sure, is this bride or isn't it bride? Doesn't matter whether he knows or not, as long as you know it. So this man, Haman, let's try to finish this quickly. He got the king to sign an edict to destroy all the Jews. So you see, that spirit that was on Haman came on Hitler. Destroy all the Jews. And that same spirit came upon Hamas. They just took the N and put an S there. Haman to Hamas. Kill all the Jews. That's what they want to do. It's a spirit. The spirits don't die. They just live on. So, here was this edict gone forth and it was distributed throughout the nation that every Jew must be put to death. And Mordecai knew that only Esther would be able to get an audience with the king to save the situation. According to the Medo-Persian laws, nobody could approach the king unless they were called. She said, for a whole month, the king hasn't called me, what must I do? Mordecai said, how do you know, maybe for such a time as this, that you were called. If you don't do it, you will die, and God will get somebody else. She said, if I perish, let me perish. I am going to see the king. Hallelujah. If I perish, let me perish. I am going to see the king. And even though she was not called to go into the presence of the king, she was determined to go out there. Because nobody could approach the king unless they were called, which means to enter without an invitation was death. Is that right? Read it. It's there in the book of Esther. To enter in without an invitation from the king means you're going to die. And Esther knew that she found favor with the king. The king loved her. And again, the king was on his throne. Discussing matters of great importance to the state. His counselors and servants were there. And Esther could not approach him haphazardly. She had to be dressed right. She had to walk right. She had to be anointed right. And Brother Branham said, walk right, dress right, anointed right. He said, that's how Aaron approached it. That's how we do too. But this was life or death now. 
Amen. And here she was. And the only thing that could save Esther was something that was in the right hand of the king. It was his golden scepter. And I believe when she entered into the throne room, all the counselors stopped. Whatever they were doing, they stopped. There was silence in the throne room now. What's going to happen? Nobody, the king never gave us a summons to go and call Esther. Look at her now, she's right here in a royal apparel. What's going to happen? Are we going to witness the death of our queen? There was silence in the throne room. Seventh seal opened. Esther had to enter into the king's rest. And I believe she was not looking at the counselors. Nor the wise men. Or the servants. She did not admire the beauty of the throne room. But her eyes were on the right hand of the king. What was in his hand was going to save her. Amen. And the Bible said he stretched forth the scepter. And Esther touched the top of it. And the king said to her, what wilt thou have, Esther? I will give you even to the half of my kingdom. So in that silence, she found rest for the Jews. She found rest for her soul. Amen. In that half hour silence, death became life. Amen. That edict that was signed, it could not be taken back. And notice the king said even he could not change the word. He said, but what I want you to do is just tell Mordecai to go to all the Jews everywhere to tell them to pick up their swords. Amen. And be able to resist the people that want to come against them. And that sword which was in the hand of this prophet, because it fitted his hand exactly, he turns around and he said, now you, bride, you take that sword. And you wield it to the heart of the enemy. And I believe that in this great half hour of silence, amen, that which was in the right hand of the Almighty God, came down to earth in this generation, and it turned death into life. Amen. You ate the book, you become the book. Because whatever you eat, that's what you become. And the book is God, the great redeemer that has come to claim you in this generation. Amen. And you are every bit God as he is God. You have every bit of the word as he is the word. So I challenge you this morning to speak the word and believe what you speak. Because this is what the seventh seal is all about. Hallelujah. Can we just bow our heads for a few moments? Shut in with God in that secret place. There in the Spirit, behold His face. Shut it 
blessed this morning. Uh, I think there were some profound statements that were spoken by God through the lips of Brother Steve. How many agree with me on that one? The theophany is the breath of God. I just love how he brought the silence, the period of silence when Solomon was presiding over the case. No wonder Brother Bram said the seventh seal is like a rocket. Keeps on shooting. And no wonder he said if I had time, I was going to show the seventh seal from right from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. Amen. I don't know. Brother Steve stays in Newcastle and we are next to the highway N4. We want to put it on record that he must never pass on the N4 without stopping by. How many agree with me? Amen. So, Brother Steve, you don't need invitation. You just phone that I will be passing through the N4 and stop by so that we can really benefit. Isn't it beautiful to have such sober, balanced, consistent elders? Many years in the message. I think we need to give Brother Steve a round of applause. Uh, they say scarcity breeds availability. Um, and when you begin to see elders like these ones remaining right on the middle of the road, it just warms our hearts. Nothing spoken, just the pure weight since he came. Just the pure weight. No fairy tale, no gimmick, nothing. Unalterated weight of the living God. And we just want to appreciate the gift that God has bestowed upon his life. And as he will be traveling, may God grant you the traveling mercy. Sister Jennifer, we really appreciate you for having accompanied Brother Steve to this side. And we love you. We appreciate you and we love you and we respect you. And it has been an honor for you to receive our invitation. Uh, I battled a couple of days before I could ring him. I had to pray about it, but God made a way. And we were tremendously blessed. We were tremendously blessed. Amen. So we're just going to wrap up. Brother Joseph Latola will put to the roof. Amen. So we close the convention. We're having great expectation. Uh, I'm not much, I don't know much about soccer, but in my youth I heard about two soccer players from Brazil, Ronaldo and Bebeto. I was told that when you combined those two players, you were bound to put the ball behind the goalkeeper into the net. So it, it was in my heart that let me get the spiritual Ronaldo and Bebeto. And I can say they have put the ball behind the devil's net, into the devil's net. Amen. We really appreciate, brethren. You've got no idea how their diaries are always chock-a-block. That's why I had to start from April and May speaking to them because I know they are always engaged, but we really, really appreciate for them to come this way. And God bless you, Brother Steve. 
I really personally appreciate you. Amen. Just give us a worshiping song. Brother Saint, if you can just come and wrap up in prayer for us, my brother. In the cross
pray. Our precious Lord and Heavenly Father, our Lord is, you are our eternity, Father. You are what we live for, dear Lord. We want to glorify your name and praise thee and thank thee, Father, for always being there, Lord. We also want to ask, Lord, and thank thee for this precious ministers and pastors that you have given us, Lord, because you said in your word, faith comes by hearing the word, Lord. And has our faith grow, and thank you, Lord, once again for providing us this educated in this message and in this word, Lord, this beautiful ministers, Lord. We thank you also, Father, for the song leaders, Lord. We thank thee for the technical team that has provided, Lord. And we also thank thee for the hosting ministers, Lord, that made us feel home, Lord. We thank the Lord for a beautiful message, Lord. A manifested prophet, Lord, that you brought into our lives, Father, that we can be a changed person, Lord, that we can be the bride, Lord, that you deserve, Father. We also ask for traveling mercies for those who need to travel still, Lord. We ask for a special blessing for those who are staying, Lord. And may we live a sermon, Lord. May when they see us, that they see Jesus, may we reflect to our Heavenly Father. We ask thee everything that you have given us, Lord, that it is a blessing then from you. We thank thee for everything that you've done for us, our mighty Lord. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father, Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. God bless you richly. It's just two songs and then thereafter you will be dismissed. Do not forget, we are not having service next week, Sunday, but we are meeting at the showgrounds with the third Oxodas singers uh, for the music service. Uh, in that service, Brother Vindala will preach, so we are looking forward. Amen. Just give us a song to Jubilant. Uh, we are blessed. Did you hear about the two women? Say just cut it into peace and give me the gifts. And maybe give him the give her the weights. Says no, we don't want to have the revival. <laughs> that was beautiful. Hallelujah. Uh, you can give God a round of applause. You see, when a minister stands in front of the people. It depends on what the people pull out. Are we together? The more people pull out, that's the more God supplies. Amen. We really appreciate everything that God has done. We are looking forward to the second service session. We will start at exactly half past three. Amen. God bless you richly. I'm going to march in heaven. I'm going to march heaven one day. I'm going to heaven one day. Heaven one day. I'm going to march to heaven one day. Oh, I'm going to march in heaven one day.
God bless you.